Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Freedom of Species, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Emma Townsend. Uh, In November last year, we played a couple of the really informative presentations at the Animal Justice Party's Summit on the Poison 1080. We learnt about the toxicology facts of the poison the legal ins and outs to help ban this cruel and environmentally destructive poison. And we also listened to the fatal impacts it has on dingo populations. I'll put a link to that podcast on this current podcast page, but also you can head to the Animal Justice Party's webpage and find the full summit, which is a good two hours listening there. I'm playing two more talks today that are essential listening because there is an assumption out there that the dingo is protected but the thing is it is unprotected so that farmers can still shoot trap kill and bait dingoes under the wild dog management scheme uh, not only on their private land but also within like three kilometer buffer zones around crown land or national park land for instance Uh, The thing is, the dingo doesn't really have anywhere to go where it's safe because national parks also use 1080 poison to kill the foxes and wild dogs within the national park. So this native apex predator of ours, which is akin to Africa's lion, is really persecuted. Have a listen. Linda Stoner from Animal Liberation New South Wales is emceeing the event and introductions. And our next panellist is Nick Papalia. He's been on the National Trail to get 1080 banned for 25 years, published author of two books, Who Cares and A Tree Without Roots, as well as an e-book, The Boomerang Trail. Along with his companion, Dingo Lindy, he's visited 127 schools and given 643 dingo awareness sessions, resulting in a nomination for Australian of the Year. Nick, would you like to come up and everybody make you welcome? A question for you. Before I answer that question, I just want to make one slight change because when I was introduced, 
I'm not the uh, president of Water. I did help instigate that particular club in 2000 and I worked with Harry Mason, but I was president for six years and I left in 2006 and went to Broome with my dingo. But that, I just want to clarify that because Lee Mullen's been the president of the group since then. Good to know. Thank, Thank you. you. And our question for you <coughs> is um, we've learned that 1080 kills large numbers of non-target species such as endangered native species. But if we can, for a moment, focus on the one that is targeted, Australia's apex land predator, the dingo, can you please explain why the dingo is targeted and the effect this has on disrupting the social structure of dingo communities? The top land predator is the, the guardian, the protector and the modulator, and it keeps everything in balance. That's well researched and studied. The... Um, the dingo keeps the cat, the fox, the goat, the pig, the rabbit, the kangaroo and the wild dogs in tow. When those population of dingoes are decimated by 1080, exasperation takes place in a destabilisation effect and the dingo is different to a dog. It's, it's, it's awarded the title of Canis dingo as a different species to Canis familiaris because it is different in its manner and its role. The dingo is the top land predator. It's a territorial animal and when it's not exasperated in um, destabilisation and effect through 1080 baiting, <coughs> it'll keep any intruder at bay. So it'll stop those animals and it keeps the, the balance going. It's a modulator effect and it's true. So when, when that happens, when 1080 is killing the alphas, the alpha dingoes are the teachers to the juveniles and they're very intelligent dingoes. They have a 30% larger skull morphology than a dog. Um, they are very different. They... They only have one cycle a year. Dogs have two. They generally don't bark. They can copy and simulate a copy bark if they're in association with dogs and hybrids do bark. But generally they'll howl or they're very quiet. They, there's a whole lot of differences. But anyway, um, in the wild, the alphas will be the only two that breed. And if it's a pack of six or eight, those six or eight dingoes will be immediate surrogate parents to those puppies. So that's a different thing. And there are very, many differences, but they are changed immediately. If you kill the alphas, there's no teacher. And what happens is they run amok with mayhem and anarchy and there's complete um, competition. And that's what will be happening with what is actually a human-created situation in the wild dog situation. Because when a dingo is killed, the dingo will go and what's replaced is 50 dogs. Because those juvenile dingoes, they'll run amok and they'll kill 50 sheep just in competition for fun. And then they'll mate with dogs, which they never do if you leave them in a pack which is protected, which was researched by Arian Wallach and Arian Wallach and Adam O'Neill at Evelyn Downs in South Australia. And those um, scientific reports and research proved incredible. Uh, they actually were given the highest award for scientific research in Australia with the Eureka Award. It doesn't get any higher than that. And yet we, we dismiss it. We, we don't respect that. We continue bombing them with 1080 and where they've been bombed and wiped out across Australia and there's many pockets across Australia where there's no dingoes because we drop 1080 everywhere, in the parks, in the wild, everywhere, right across Australia. Where those dingoes have gone and we've got four types of dingo, we've got the desert, we've got the alpine, we've got the tropical and we've got the Fraser Island. The Fraser Island and the alpine dingo are endangered species. The tropical and the desert, we don't know what they are because of the, popula the, the population with the various... Spans of our country, we can't get a population number, but they're a vulnerable species and classified so red listed internationally. Uh, we have to protect these animals because soon they'll be extinct. 
if we don't do something about it. We're following the same footpath we did with the thylacine. And um, it's not very intelligent. We actually have the world <laughs> record in mammal extinction. And um, it's, it's, it's shameful in every manner. But what happens is that exasperation taking place when the alphas are extinguished and killed just results in mating with wild dogs and it does. It just creates a mayhem situation and I hope that answers the question. It does. It was fascinating. Thank you. I think we could all listen to you all night about dingoes. I've already learned a great deal. Thanks, Nick. Um, we have a member of our audience, Troy Evans. Troy, where are you, please? Troy, hello. Troy uh, would like to ask you, Nick, is there anything that we can learn from the events which led to 1080 being banned in other countries? How may we be able to apply those lessons here? I think we should uh, wake up and start using the knowledge that's been attained and use that wisdom other countries are using and it follows suit with our top land predator to the same situation in effect with what Arian and Adam learnt at Evelyn Downs with the Eureka Wood, with the Yellowstone National Park and the top land predator in the United States. The first time in more than 70 years relocation of wolves was taken place in that particular park, which saw aspen trees germinate for the first time in more than 70 years because they were kept in tow. It's a balance effect. That's what they are, the modulator, the guardian, the protector. It's very important. So what happened after that took place was countries like Denmark, Sweden, Scotland, Mexico, they used that information as knowledge and wisdom and they took it to good effect and they've relocated wolves into those countries to create the effect of balance. And what do we do? We continue using 1080. And then we have the former threatened species minister, or commissioner actually, Gregory Andrews, released a comment when he was in power in that position, which was a betrayal, to say that 1080 was as dangerous as hair shampoo. Come on. There's no accountability. What happens? Why isn't it that Australians stand up for that? We have a duty of care. It's not a big ask. It's common sense. Wow. Thanks. You are on 3CR, Freedom of Species, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves. And that was one speaker at the Animal Justice Party's summit on the very cruel 1080 poison held last year. We'll take a quick music break now and listen to the extraordinary guitar work of Rodrigo and Gabriella. Uh, Hanuman is the name of the tune, just to give our brains a break because I really want to um, get you alert and concentrating for the next speaker after this. Listen to three say oh clap your hands. If you listen to three say oh clap your hands. If you listen to three say oh you sure know where you are. If you listen to three say oh clap your hands. If you listen to three say oh clap your hands. If you listen to three say oh clap your hands. We'll check out the happy vibe. We're gonna ring up and subscribe. If you listen to three say oh flap your hands. What the hell is that? Flap your ears. What are you talking about? I ain't no elephant. Get out of here. This is handmade radio. 
listening to Freedom of Species Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves. Before the music by Rodrigo and Gabriella, we have just been listening to Nick Papalia at the 1080 Poison Summit Conference held by the Animal Justice Party at the end of last year. We will now proceed to another speaker. And it's very interesting to hear what he has to say about the lengths that the pastorists will go to to make sure that the dingo is unprotected so that they can keep killing them under the wild dog management schemes. It's very interesting because I know that in defence a lot of farmers say, oh, no, we're not killing dingoes, we love dingoes, we're killing wild dogs. The wild dogs are the ones that run amok and are killing our sheep and our cattle. But the thing is, it's very hard to tell if you are killing a wild dog or a dingo. And also um, scientists have proven that a hybridised dingo, that is a dingo that's been uh, mixed with uh, wild dogs, uh, can be doing the same job behaviourally in the ecology as a dingo. And also 1080 does not discriminate. It is just baits are just left around for any animal native or introduced to Um, become victim to, and it's a very slow, gruesome death. We'll now go back to the summit. Our next panellist is Dr Ernest Healy. He is a sociologist at Monash University, the author of Victorian Dingo Threatened Species, nomination Secretary of the National Dingo Preservation and Conservation Program, and he's currently one of the two conservation appointments to the Victorian Government's Wild Dog Management Advisory Committee and he's instrumental in promoting the adoption of improved dingo apex predator protection policy by the Victorian government. question to you is, we often hear of what are termed wild dog baiting programs, but it seems clear that this is a euphemism for the dingo. Can you please tell us about your fight to elevate the dingo to protected status and how that relates to the Flora and Fauna Act and perhaps expand on why some areas are baited and some are not? Yes, thank you. Um, the very first part of the question, the, the term wild dog is uh, used in uh, lethal control context is really a propaganda term. What we're killing for the greater part is uh, the Australian native dog, the dingo. Sure, hybridisation has occurred, um, but hybridisation levels even in Victoria and New South Wales are nowhere near as high as is often made out. What we are killing, these animals are predominantly dingo. Um, They function environmentally as dingoes, as apex predators. We're killing a native animal uh, on an industrial scale. And part of the way that uh, uh, authorities help disguise that fact to the public is to uh, refer to wild dogs. (coughs) If they were to refer to dingoes, there would be a, a much higher level of awareness uh, of what's really going on uh, than currently exists. The, the remainder of the question I'll answer um, um, as, uh, in, as my presentation proceeds. Uh, I'd like to give a little bit of information about the current state of play of dingo conservation in Victoria. Um, I wouldn't like to suggest at all that we're anywhere near where we want to be in terms of apex predator conservation and dingo conservation. 
but we have had some limited progress uh, in <coughs> Victoria. Um, again, a long way to go. So I'll cover just where we are at at this point in time. Um, and after that, I'd like to give, uh, provide you with a few insights from my experience on the Victorian Government uh, Wild Dog Management uh, Advisory Committee. Um, briefly, this is a committee set up by the current Victorian Government. It was initially set up by the previous Liberal uh, uh, Victorian uh, Liberal Government, National uh, Government. Um, it was basically a, a committee of uh, farmers, uh, anti-wild dog, to use that term again. Farmers, um, when Labor came to government, they initially discontinued that committee uh, under intense lobbying from the uh, farming lobby in Victoria, they reinstated that committee. Um, this time round, however, to give some credit where it's due, I suppose, is that um, out of a committee of seven, including the chairman, two conservation appointments were made to the committee. Um, uh, myself and a, a brilliant young ecologist from Deakin University, Ewan Ritchie, Dr Ewan Ritchie. Um, that has been a real eye-opener. I've been on the verge of uh, resigning from that committee any number of times, and every time it meets, it takes me a couple of days to get over it. Uh, but uh, I'll give you some insights from, uh, from uh, that experience. A bit of, bit of uh, background history. Uh, wild dog control in Victoria goes back a long way before, Victoria, before Melbourne uh, was even a, a legal settlement uh, under Batman and Faulkner. Uh, there was quite a settlement established, a few hundred people. Um, and it was a very British thing. After they'd been here a while, they decided we'd better have some sort of, uh, sort of uh, meeting, uh, sort of uh, conduct ourselves in some sort of orderly manner. They conducted a meeting, took minutes, had a chairperson, put up resolutions, put them to the vote, etc. And the two resolutions that were first passed in Melbourne, and it was around 1838, a year or two after the... Uh, Association first set up shop here. The first was to uh, a resolution that far, uh, firearms should not be uh, given to the natives and the second was to put a bounty on the head of the dingo. Uh, even in those early years, there was, for a relatively small number of people, to several hundred people, there were tens of thousands of sheep roaming around uh, this area here where we are today, probably. Uh, so uh, the persecution of, of the dingo really began day one. A <coughs> little bit of uh, chronology in Victoria, more recent chronology. Um, February 2007, a nomination to list the dingo as a threatened native taxon was lodged under the Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act, Act in uh, Victoria. This came about, I, I was with a group of people at the time and very, very frustrated that dingoes at the time, not just dingo hybrids, dingoes did not have any wildlife status in Victoria at all at that stage. They were, in, they were governed under the Catchment Land Protection Act as pest animals in the same category as uh, feral goats, pigs and rabbits. Um, I, I, we were perplexed about how to change this and I actually, uh, I and one or two colleagues made an appointment to see an old bureaucrat in the Department of Agriculture and this rather gentlemanly fellow, um, we, we sort of I was probing him about, well, you know, how can we break this legal deadlock? How can we get dingoes out of the Catchment Land Prote Protection Act uh, into the Wildlife Act? And he, he actually said, and he sort of scratched his head, and he, he said, oh, well, <clears throat> one way to do it might be through the Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act. Now, that, this is the 
threatened species legislation. He said, well, if it was to be listed under the Foreign Fauna Guarantee Act, then it would have to change status into the Wildlife Act. So I sort of took that idea away and uh, I set about writing, found out how to lodge a nomination, threatened species nomination. And, um, you know, and I was sort of advised against it by some colleagues. They said, you know, you're not a proper scientist, you know. Um, you can't do that. But I was not deterred and I sat down and wrote it and thought about it a lot and lodged it. Um, and we were very, very lucky in Victoria in that the, the body that uh, advises government on threatened species nominations is an, a, a, a panel of independent scientists that, that rotate like a merry-go-round. They're, they're not fixed positions. And it just so happened that the scientists on the committee at that point in time, I think the planets were aligned, somehow recommended to the government mm. there's a case here. This is a native animal, in our view. Fits the criteria of a native animal and... Um, uh, all the evidence shows that it's a threatened native species. Now, this created something of a dilemma for the minister of the day. I think it was rather a sort of a yes minister moment because the minister didn't want to ignore the advice of this top-level panel of scientists uh, but at the same time didn't want to, uh, I think, create a furor with uh, the, the more extreme elements of the farming community. Um, and the way they got around it was to... I think, you know, the minister was advised, we can fix this for you, minister. We can, we can list the dingo as a threatened native tax, and, but we can put measures in place to really ensure that nothing much changes in practice. And this is what I think really um, happened. The minister of the day did accept the listing um, um, and the dingo was transferred from the, as a pest animal under the Catchment Land Protection Act to the Wildlife Act. The way... This was gotten around, however... Um, sorry, I'm not using this clicker very well. This was the outcome. It was decided, uh, how will we protect the dingo, which we've committed to under the Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act, while not really changing things too much for farmers, being able to kill dingoes to supposedly protect farm stock. And the formula that, <coughs> that was arrived at is the map you see here, and it basically says there will be a three-kilometre area where private land, farming land, meets crown land, there will be a zone of three kilometres into crown land um, where uh, wild dogs and dingoes can be legally killed. Dingoes, although just listed as a threatened native taxon, were unprotected in law within that three kilometre uh, um, buffer. And this is what it looks like in eastern Victoria. If you look closely there, I hope you can see a blue line running around that's the three-kilometre buffer where it, even uh, the threatened species, the dingo, can be killed um, uh, be killed through routine control, including with 1080. That was the political compromise. As the dingo was listed as a threatened native taxon, there was this provision put in place that it would be unprotected and legally killed in certain places within that three-kilometre buffer. Um, now, the result of this is, and this is sort of, a, if you like, a, a relative progress, is that the state, the government doggers and use of 1080, aerial baiting, trapping and so forth, can only occur within that three kilometres. Um, the um, extreme elements within the farming lobby are not happy with the three kilometres. They want to be able to bait and control, uh, apply lethal control really wherever they want. Uh, the catch-22 here from a conservation point of view is that before the threatened species listing, 
it just so happened that most lethal control was conducted within three kilometres of that uh, private public land interface anyway. So in practical terms for farmers, the threatened species really didn't change much in practice. The weaknesses, uh, the weaknesses of the um, current arrangements are these. It relies upon a narrow genetic definition of what constitutes a dingo for protection under the Flora, Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act. Only pure, genetically pure dingoes are protected under the Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act. Any, any hybridisation to any small degree whatsoever disqualifies the animal uh, from being protected uh, under the Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act and the Wildlife Act, even though it performs, uh, continues to perform an apex predator function uh, and does all that good work uh, within our ecosystems. The, in, this, in this sense, the law at the moment is really an ass because it makes an arbitrary distinction in terms of ecological function makes an arbitrary distinction between what is to be protected and what is to be uh, exterminated as a pest animal. As I just indicated, I think uh, a real flaw in the current arrangement is that what is protected under, floor, under the Flora and Fauna Guarantee Act is a tax and not an ecological function. Um, and as over the years, in my own sort of the evolution of my own, my own thinking on this, and I think more broadly within the, the, the dingo conservation uh, uh, movement, um, thinking has shifted away from a sort of a preoccupation with purity, harping about purity. In terms of ecological function, um, purity is not such a big deal. And the fact of it is we don't really have the genetic testing to be too sure about what, what is really pure and what's not anyway. So it, it's a sort of almost... A, it's a it's a dead end. Um, worrying about purity is a dead end uh, from a, a conservation, ecological point of view. Um, a real contradiction at the moment in Victoria is that although state authorities can't deploy control and lethal control beyond that three-kilometre buffer I was talking about, recreational hunters, anywhere where recreational hunters are allowed to hunt, they can kill... Again, the term wild dogs. Yet the Agriculture Department itself on its website openly admits that visually uh, it's, Im it's most often impossible to distinguish a hybrid from a pure dingo anyway. You can't tell the difference from looking at them in the wild. So what recreational shooters are killing uh, probably does include pure dingoes and, and includes uh, ecologically functional hybrids. But so far as the law goes, the law is an ass because it allows recreational hunters to go into areas to kill uh, animals that may be pure dingoes when state authorities themselves can't control beyond three kilometres. It's an absurdity. So this is a major, major shortcoming of the current situation in Victoria. The other background factor here, of course, is that whatever animals you kill within that three kilometres have uh, a very widespread ramifications throughout uh, into ecosystems well beyond that three kilometres. Okay, um, ecological, uh, ecologists will tell you this straight away. The damage, ecological damage done is not limited to the three kilometres. Um, i just like to provide a few quick insights, uh, um, conclusions and insights from my... Uh, presence on the Wild Dog Advisory Committee. Um, the, 
I might not be on the committee much longer after this evening. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite clear that the members of the committee themselves and I believe um, agriculture department authorities do not perceive any need to ensure that lethal control is proportionate to evidence about the scale of the farm stock predation problem. Um, they don't see that if uh, predation rates are low, then they, can, they should cut back, back on control, including the use of 1080. Should cut back on control, um, or if their problem's big, they should perhaps then they might scale it up. They don't think like that. They simply feel uh, convinced that they need to pile it on. Within that three-kilometre buffer, they need to pile it on. And they're forever looking for more ways to convince both the state and federal governments uh, to uh, increase uh, aerial baiting to ever new areas, to increase the intensity of aerial baiting, the number of baits dropped per kilometre from helicopters and so forth. They have no sense of proportionality. And here's a statement from a... This is the bit that will really get me sacked, I think, is from a... a, This is a departmental sort of caveat uh, in a recent draft report to the Minister for Agriculture... um, talking about um, how little evidence they have that their control, uh, their lethal control of wild dogs is is actually helping farmers uh, defend their livestock. And they say this. It's also important to note that the wild dog program is designed to meet the government's obligations under the CALP Act to prevent the spread of and as far as possible eradicate established pest animals uh, from their land. The Victorian Wild Dog Program is not designed to demonstrate the efficacy of the individual practices uh, in reducing stock losses. They do not feel that under the legislation they are under any onus to demonstrate to the government that their lethal control is in fact helping protect farm livestock. They don't feel there's any such obligation under the law. Well, in fact, there may not be under the... Perhaps I think there's a serious shortcoming within the Catchment Land Protection Act. There's a serious shortcoming in the Act. The Act ought to be reviewed to ensure that uh, the, the Department is accountable in this respect. Um, I'd, I'd just emphasise, too, that the available evidence about um, the actual numbers of farm stock loss to wild dog predation is very low. In Victoria, the, the officially reported numbers of stock lost by farmers, for example, in 2016-17, uh, was 995 sheep in Victoria, across Victoria. These are the figures I got from the committee. Yet, if you look at the population of sheep in Victoria in that year, it was over 13 million sheep. This is 76 sheep lost in every 1 million sheep. And yet we're flying helicopters around dropping tonnes of 1080 around the place uh, to uh, protect 995 sheep out of a population of over 13 million. There is something seriously wrong here. This is, again, the lack of proportionality that I'm talking about. (coughs) Uh, There's this view... Once confronted with these facts that the, the stock loss numbers are very low, the, the reaction is, well, um, we need to be preemptive. We can't be reactive. The reason the stock losses are low is because the lethal control is working. But there's a, a sort of a, there's a, sort of a reductio ad absurdum here. There's a sort of a circular logic that the less evidence we have 
of stock predation, the more we have to poison and control. And there's no way of ever... Once you get into that loop, there's no, no way of ever testing it, really. You just remain committed to the belief that the poisoning is helping you uh, without ever really examining it very closely. Dr Healy, I do apologise for cutting you off there. We've only got a half an hour left, so um, we need to speak to John. Sure. Uh, it's been wonderful listening to everything that you've shared and um, as it's being filmed, we can um, hopefully get your uh, slides um, to further learn what you would have shared That's with fine. us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Australians love their digital equipment and that's all fine and good because it increases our quality of life but we need to think more carefully about what we're doing when we're finished with it. E-waste is growing at three times the rate of other municipal waste. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am Tune in and listen up. This ain't nothing This is Genocide! 3CR has all kinds of music programs for you to hear. From blues to hip-hop, reggae, classical, punk... Jazz, soul, indigenous, experimental, indie, metal and other music styles. Check out 3cr.org.au on the World Wide Web for more info. You are on the Freedom of Species show, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves. That completes our summer show today. I'd like to thank very much the whole Animal Justice Party team, um, including Andy Medic and Elliot Taylor. I know there are many other really hardworking Animal Justice Party uh, people who made this event possible. So thank you very much. It was extraordinary. And hopefully now with Andy as an MP, we will be really pushing for this issue to make headway this year. And also, let's bring about a ban for 1080 Poison, please, people. If people don't know about it out there, just tell them that it's killing our native apex predator, the dingo, and who really looks after our ecologies so well. We just have to get in the way. We heard earlier... Dingoes, if left in a stable pack structure, uh, will keep down populations um, that are increasingly becoming unwanted. Uh, Populations of kangaroos are kept down by dingoes, populations of foxes and indeed rabbits. They're the top apex predator, so they do that job in the environment. So let's let them do it and stop this necessity to kill to such levels every year. And also, at the end of the day, it's just, if you're going to choose the most torturous, repulsive, inhumane way to kill any species, you would choose 1080. So let's get it banned. 
There's a community service announcement um, here for a ban 1080 poison rally. If you're in Perth in Western Australia, it's to be held outside Parliament on the 23rd of February. That's a ban 1080 rally, February 23rd in Perth in Western Australia outside Parliament there at 10am. If you need more information, there's a... Lindy Dingo Papalia Facebook page. You can head there. I'll just put a link to the event on our Facebook page as well. There are a few petitions that I will put on the podcast page for people to sign. Or please contact your MP about this issue. Give him a call. That's what they're there for. If you'd like to contact us, please do on info at freedomofspecies.org, Facebook or Twitter. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week. Taking us out is a tune called Nature's Way by Rodrigo and Gabriella with Oystein Grenny. Something's wrong. It's nature's way of telling you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.